Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I'm joined by our regular guest, His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, Associate Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Your Excellency and Father, as always, welcome. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here, Stephen, as usual. This episode is as the case for all of our non-sponsored episodes is free for the first 15 minutes to non-members. To receive access to all Restoration Radio episodes, please visit restorationradionetwork.com. Go to the member area on the menu bar to find out details on becoming a member. If you are not a member and would like to purchase an individual episode, such as this one, go to the website, navigate to the available episode of your choice, and simply click the links below the player on the page. After completing your purchase, you'll be emailed a secure download link. Well... Listeners, I was talking to Father Chikata uh, a little bit before the the episode, and, and I said, you know, after two years, I still have the reaction as I'm preparing for the show that you really, really can't make it up. And and Father Chikata mused that maybe uh, there's a there's a closet set of a contest at the Vatican who's writing all of Francis's copy. What what do you th- what do you think of that theory, Your Excellency? I don't think he needs anybody writing copy for him. <laughs> he, he has the uh, the uncanny combination of the spirit of heresy, ignorance, and stupidity. Those three things are constantly at work inside his his psyche. We're talking so, about Bergoglio now, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to be clear on that. <laughs> But, you know, it's like the perfect storm, all of these things going on, <laughs> these three factors. Uh, and uh, I, he doesn't need any ghostwriters. <laughs> um, I mean, as you, nobody could make this stuff up, uh, you know. But, but uh, you know, one or the other, there's like a dominant in one, every single thing he says, either the spirit of heresy or ignorance or stupidity, but but they're all there. And uh, one of the other things that I... I uh mentioned in sending out to the email with the, the the links and the prep stuff for the show is that the task of of simply keeping up with his heretical statements is uh, is daunting and overwhelming uh even uh, to uh, uh call what he says during the course of the month and uh, uh put it aside into uh, you know separate paragraphs is it's it's uh, a major task. I, I thought at a certain point that eventually he would let up, but it is not letting up, and it's 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 uh, been at this point for um, uh, uh, f- uh, for more than two years. It is it's it's an uh, astounding um, uh, ongoing soap opera of heresy. Well, and and to be fair, Father, he's not even certain sometimes if it is heretical. Uh, I think there was a no, no, Novus Ordo watch had a had a story about four days ago, in which he says, "I feel like saying something that that might sound heretical," but then he says, "I don't know. It's perhaps a heresy." Um, so, well, you know, uh, that, you know back the to Spanish what was. He said, "I'm sorry. Go ahead, Your Excellency." The Spanish was is heretical. <laughs> that may be heretical. I Father. Uh, Fleece was telling me this today that uh, so, and he saw no, it on watch that here. they checked the Spanish, and he said, "Sir, that it might be heretical, which is even worse." 
That means whatever it is might be heretical, you know, uh, you know, it might cares? be poison. We might die from it, but who cares? You know, we'll drink it anyway. Uh, the uh, that shows that comment shows so much. The first is that he has no care of heresy. I mean, he doesn't care if it's heretical or not. Secondly, it blows away the mente vacantists like Bishop Williamson who say well, these people can't be heretics because they can't think of a fixed truth and they have no notion of heresy in their minds. He knows perfectly well that what he was about to say was heretical. And thirdly, it it um, uh, blows away the idea that these people are not formal. That is, that they don't know any better and uh, they're just misled liberals who... Uh, you know, really are, are good Catholics, but they are just—they uh, just don't know that they're in heresy. He—he he knew perfectly well, and he didn't care. So it, it explodes all of that. <laughs> it explodes everything that SSPX is saying and XSSPX is saying. You know, all of the excuses are gone. Uh, mm-hmm. They weren't much to begin with. Uh, when uh, you looked at uh, actually how canons and moralists handle heresy. But uh, just from the things that this man says, uh, you you can't uh, seriously make that argument that uh, he has no concept of heresy or he doesn't. Uh, he simply does not care. No. No. He has no sense of orthodoxy whatsoever. He couldn't care less whether it was heresy or not. Uh, uh, I wanted to make sure for our listeners that I have your formula correct. It's a spirit of heresy, ignorance, and carelessness. Is that what you said? Uh, No, stupidity. 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 Okay. Those three things are always at work in practically everything he says. Well, it takes effort to get all three things all the time. Don't downplay that. You know, most um, heretics were actually pretty bright people. Luther was, and, you know, uh, uh, Arius and others, uh, Calvin, you know, they, they were learned, uh, they were pretty bright, but this one is, is, uh, is a dumb one. Sorry to say. <laughs> but it's always there. I mean, you can't believe some of the things he comes out with, how dumb they are. Uh, well, I mean, that gets us into, gets into our very first uh, group of stories, which is, Leading up to the Synod, we're going to have to stake out territories and claims. And I want to I want to uh, step back and and have a, a, a meta question for Father Chikata. <laughs> I often feel that I feel that Rurate Chaley supplies a lot of our news stories for this. And I and I wonder. I know you've had contact with some of the editors there because they've asked you to write stories uh, for them, uh, or not stories, but articles for them over the years. And, you know, Rurate is officially, whatever you want to call them, Motu, Pro-SSPX, and they seem to be basically chronicling Francis's disasters. And, you know, what, what, is the, what do you think that their mentality is going on there? Have you had any contacts with these people as to their reactions to Francis? Because they're reporting it in full, it seems. Well, the uh, ones that uh, I have had contact with, uh, many of them are anonymous, which is not a bad idea, I guess, in, in, uh, in the Internet world today for certain things. Uh, obviously, they're uh, appalled by him. And I was thinking today that 
uh, Rorate is less inclined to make excuses for Bergoglio than SSPX is now. Because I, I just got an email this morning. I'm on the SSPX um, uh, um, email list, not their Christmas card list, but their email list. <laughs> and they... Um, it's definitely uh, not on the Christmas card list. It's definitely not on the Christmas card uh, list. Uh, they uh, put out a uh, communication uh, just today that was something to the effect of, well, uh, you know, the, the Pope is really rethinking different issues of um, uh, marriage, uh, on these, these marriage questions, and we should find this very encouraging. So, yeah, and, uh, you know, then I look at Rorate, and they've managed, they're blowing the whistle every time that uh, Bergoglio does something uh, something really crazy. So I think it's 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 uh, 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 to the point where uh, Rorate is uh, more militant on uh, these issues than the, the Society of St. Pius X is, which is quite a development. It is, yes. Although SSPX is uh, looking for a reconciliation, so they obviously have to be positive. Yeah, but one of the things that we often said, um, or the idea that that Bishop Sanborn and I often tossed around, is that the uh, people on, uh, certain people on the inside of the Novus Ordo establishment have a... um, a, a, a uh, an understanding of ecclesiology that is 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 closer to our ecclesiology certainly than the Pius X uh, Society does, because they take the question of the Pope uh, seriously. He's not just a a, 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 uh, a sort of a cardboard figure there. So it's it's uh, interesting to see the shift. Yes, yeah, we uh, in that sense, in that sense, uh, mm-hmm. are are much more able to talk to what you call a Novus Ordo conservative uh, of any kind of flavor than SSPX. I mean, SSPX has a essentially Gallican uh, notion of the papacy. Uh, that is that that he's the pope, but the church sifts what he says, and and the, you know the church must approve of what he says. In order that it be accepted as magisterium, that, that's that's something condemned already by the Catholic Church, and uh, but none of us they they adhere to it. So there's really no talking to SSPX because they they don't use the same textbook, so to speak. No. Well, as we said, that this the synod is coming up in October, and there will be a number of camps trying to make a play for what the final document will look like. Although it seems that uh, the Germans uh, will have a way of interpreting the document, no matter what it says. And interestingly, Rorate had a story that posted on the it looks to be the the ninth of May, sorry, the eighteenth mm-hmm. of May. On the 18th of May, regarding something that was posted on the 9th of May by the ZDK, uh, the Zentral Committee der Deutschen Katholiken. Katholiken. My mm-hmm. my German's not as good as Father Chicado's or Bishop Sanborn's, but this is a very um, well known uh, group of German Catholics. Although the the name is is rather ominous, the Central Committee of German Catholics, and. Can you tell us a little bit about this document and, and, and what it means? Well, the um, 
to give a, a little bit of background to our, our listeners, the um, uh, representatives from three different Episcopal conferences, uh, the German, the Swiss, and the French, together with uh, uh, different theologians, had a uh, behind-closed-doors uh, meeting in uh, Rome at the Gregorian University where they went over a number of uh, issues for the Synod. Now, this this in itself, I think, was a scoop because I looked at the um, uh, list of people who were involved, and obviously uh, what had been done is you had th- uh, three bishops. You had the head of each one of those bishop conferences and then uh, two bishops from each. So uh, they were men on a mission, obviously, from their, their bishops' conference, and they held these these uh, 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 dialogues and, and uh, discussions between them and these uh, different theologians. So the uh, this central uh, committee of the German Catholics uh, uh, has uh, published this document with a number of different um, uh, points in it, obviously, that are aimed uh, toward the Synod of Bishops. So they uh, have a whole list of uh, different, I guess we could call them desiderata, and uh, programs that they want want promoted at the Synod. So the the uh, this Central Committee and this the uh, this uh, uh, group of of, uh, of bishops obviously working together, going in the same uh, direction. So you get, for instance, a, a, a statement: "Well, we regard sacramental marriage as a model for a lifelong bond." Mm. Okay, and at the same time, we respect other forms of cohabitation in which important values are realized. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, then um, uh, as a church in the world, we work in a special way for strengthening and promotion of marriage in the family in our society and in the state. By family, we mean also different non-marital forms of reliably lived partnerships of generational and of generational responsibility, which make a large contribution to the societal solidarity, which and which ought to be treated justly. And then they say that um, the church's teaching has to be further developed with the help of dialogue with the faithful and with an attentiveness to their respective life realities. Uh, As a church which is attentive to men, their sorrows and hopes, who are called to engage with confidence uh, in society today. So uh, the idea is that um, you uh, have to learn from people who are living in mortal sin. Yes, yeah, I have to take that into, you know, they're part of the church too, you know. Yeah, and <laughs> these these are different uh, realized values. I don't know why they just didn't say that at the beginning. It sounds so much like Vatican II, to, to assert some traditional doctrine mm-hmm. and then to say, but, uh, we have to do this too. Uh, it's, it, the Vatican II is full of that. Um, first the orthodoxy, then the heresy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The heresy does not redeem, excuse me, the orthodoxy does not redeem the heresy. You can't say, well, we'll, we'll just cover our eyes for the heresy. Uh, it, it's a heretical document, it's a heretical statement, no matter what other orthodoxy may be in it. Yeah, and um, the it's, it's again this uh, this idea of... Um, 
you know, dialogue with sin, uh, as it were. And, uh, you know, we know where that's, uh, where that's supposed to lead. So it's necessary to build bridges between the teaching of the Church uh, and a respect for the cohabitation and loyal non-marital partnerships, re-evaluation of the methods of artificial birth control, mm. um, and then uh, further development of, of liturgical forms, especially blessings for same-sex partnerships, new partnerships of divorcees, and for important life-changing decisions within families. So I wonder what that is. I, <laughs> Boy, that leaves the door open. You know? Oh, it certainly does. <laughs> Life-changing. I wonder if that's like transgendering or something. Oh, probably. Could be that, yes. Uh, uh, but so this is what they want to see in the Senate, huh? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is uh, an accompanying article uh, on that that um, where... One of the, the the people who's doing analysis says this is an in fact what the central this central committee is doing for the um, uh, they're they're already planning for after the Senate so it's it's uh, uh, very significant and it's going in the uh, same direction in the uh, one of the the uh, analysis uh, analyses says that well uh, one of the writers claims that the Germans are sort of isolating themselves by um uh, uh by making subs- uh, uh, such statements and pushing things in this direction but it uh, certainly doesn't sound like it well also they were very successful at Vatican II the Rhine flows into the Tiber mm-hmm. that uh the uh, you know this whole agenda this very organized agenda was essentially accepted the, the documents of Vatican II, the schemata uh, that they used, were uh, products of Karl Rahner, fundamentally, that were taken down uh, to Rome by the German bishops who had adopted them at Fulda. They had, uh, because after the, the Taviani documents were trashed, uh, they had all of these in their in their pockets to go. So, I mean, it, the very same thing could easily happen. And and it's not as if Ottaviani is in Rome. Yeah, well, I mean it's sure. not as if Rome is the is the bulwark of orthodoxy. I mean we know. <laughs> I mean we what what can we say? The uh, I mean with Bergoglio, Bergoglio certainly agrees with all of this stuff. I mean there's every reason to believe that that he is in agreement with it. And uh, he he put uh, Timothy uh, McAuliffe, is that it? Uh, who is a pro-homosexual uh, activist and who believes in women priests? He put him on the uh, one of the synod committees or something. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's right. The former um, uh, master general of the Dominicans. He is one of mm-hmm. the uh, one of the appointees. So uh, you know, um, uh, what more do you want? Timothy Radcliffe, I think it is. Radcliffe, and I mean, oh, yeah. if, if you look at his if you look at his record, uh, it's. Uh, uh, you know, it's absolutely appalling. So I, I don't think anybody could say that this is some German freak show uh, that that is appalling the entire Catholic world. I mean, Bergoglio is behind this. Actions speak louder than words, and uh, and someone's appointments show an awful lot about the, the person. Whom do you appoint? Yeah. Who are your who, who is in your entourage? And and. Uh, 
I mean, look at the people he appointed to advise him. Uh, look at what he did at the, the preliminary synod last year. I mean, there's no no reason to say that there's anything but agreement with these things in the in the Rome. So I think we're going to see. It may not be quite as radical as what the Germans are expecting there, but it's going to be pretty bad, I think, when it when it happens um, in uh, in October. I think it is. Right? Yeah. Well, I think I think loyal listeners of Francis Watch will will hear an Achtung when when they read this sentence uh, that Father Chicada read for us already, and I think it's it's the model for defining everything that we're going to talk about within the synod. And the sentence is, the church's teaching has to be further developed with the help of a dialogue with the faithful and with an attentiveness to their respective life realities. This gives the path for how you're going to adapt the, the church. And, and in fact, um, there's another document with this, uh, was translated uh, on Chiesa, Proposal of the Third Way, so uh, Sandra Magister's uh, website, Chiesa. And this Third Way uh, is written by the gentle, gentleman, I, I don't know if I can even give him that title, Thomas Michelet. Father Chicada, did you read this nonsense? This, uh, his... yeah, we're, we're, we're back to the uh, penitential uh, adulterous marriage proposal again. Yeah, mm. and, and, and he, uses, he uses a phrase in here uh, which ties directly to this point. He talks about the current conditions of the sacrament. So current conditions, quote-unquote. So he uses that, and then and he starts right away with a historical reference to try to explain, oh, well, you know, this isn't always how confession was done. I mean, in fact, it's fairly recent. So um, this, this contextualization of, well, we have to look at how the church, uh, at sin today, I suppose. Sin's so different today than, than from how it used to be, right, Father? Oh, oh yes, of course, absolutely. You know, and it's get, things are getting better in every way, and you can particularly see the interest in um, uh, penitence. Uh, you know, as a result of the Vatican II changes. So, uh, so this this proposal, what he um, it's it's a little bit confusingly written, but he uh, wants to try to separate out different elements, as he says, as in the sacrament of penance that he thinks have been uh, confused and, and um, uh, incorrectly put together in history. And he said that uh, the, uh, what he seems to be hoping for is this, that, that uh, you uh, have uh, basically a situation where uh, you can receive uh, absolution uh, in the sacrament of, of uh, penance, in effect, once again, without the firm purpose of amendment, if you're living in an invalid marriage. And that makes for an invalid absolution, too. Of course. Uh, but he doesn't... Um, uh, That's very I'm negative not... of His Excellency, as usual. Yeah. <laughs> but very they... negative. <laughs> they certainly don't put it in. In those old church terms, you know, so that, that um, uh, so that's one of, one of the things that uh, one of the things that we're looking at, and you know, I read something like this, and you think, who are the fathers of this the synod going to uh, rely on for the principles that they uh, eventually lay down? And it's going to be someone like this. These 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 are the people who are 
dominating the discussion. I think it's clear that the people who are presently, quote-unquote, in, in control of the Catholic Church, and I put a lot of quotations around that because it needs all sorts of distinctions, they're not in control, but they're they're sitting in it. Let's put it that way. They they it's all radicals. I mean, of all of all of the modernist spectrum, they are really hanging off the port side of the boat. I mean, these are people that are uh, just just the, the as left as left could be, and they are in the driver's seat. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. What will be the most interesting is to see how people who are still in the Novus Ordo and still have the Catholic faith react to this. Uh, I was just saying today to the seminarians, I'm convinced that hearing all of the stuff we were discussing, how he said it could be heretical. I mean, it might might be heretical. Who knows? That if he came out stark naked and said... Uh, Christ is not God. There is there is not three persons in one God. He's already said that, and there is no God. And and denied every dogma in in the in the Catechism, that they would still not react. That they would well, they'd still have to try check to the find a way to say They'd him. have to check the translation, Your Excellency. You know, it might just yeah, be I the media. So. <laughs> be the media trying to stage that. You know, what else do we need? Have, hasn't the prosecution rested its case? Or I mean, what other proof do you need to to say that this man is a heretic and and not a Catholic? I mean, here he he's he's trying to radicalize this institution. Uh, I mean, when you compare this to uh, history books and, and the 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 Catholic faith of before Vatican II, I mean, it, it's mind-boggling. Uh, that uh, I saw in the Wanderer, I think it was yesterday. The Wanderer was, you know, was always trying to make the best of things. Let's say uh, they said a big thing on the front page: Why did the Pope appoint a homosexualist activist uh, to be, uh, you know, on this committee for the Synod? Referring to referring to Radcliffe. Mm-hmm. Now that you know, I mean, it's, could you imagine Pius the Twelfth, uh, Pius the Eleventh, Pius the Tenth? Placing on a commission for the study of marriage in the family, a homosexualist activist who believes in women priests. I mean, can you even think about yeah. that? <laughs> How far we have come. Yet all of these these people, these Novus Ordo conservatives, who are the only ones that we have any hope for, really, uh, they just sit and watch it as if they're watching a horror movie. And they eat the popcorn, and and they they are aghast and they're afraid, but they never do anything. They never come to any conclusion about this man and about his agenda. Uh, you know, your it's, it's, your excellency, you you've said uh, throughout you know this season and uh, last season as well. You know, what more do we need? And I thought of my my Bishop Sanborn heresy doll. I was thinking of maybe making him into an action figure. And he could he could tear he could tear the top of his cassock a little bit and say, "What more do you need?" Uh, that would be one. Well, of I wouldn't the, uh... want to be compared to Caiaphas, however. I think that would be a, a sort of a, an unfortunate analogy. But it's true, though. I mean, it, it's it's true in the opposite sense. Here, what more proof does the Catholic Church need that this man is a heretic? He outstrips Luther. He outstrips Calvin. He outstrips every heretic that that has come up to the to the present time. Uh, 
and and uh, we haven't seen the end of it yet either. But you know, I am just a, a, a amazed that these people will they'll throw out a tidbit here and there of well, you know, maybe he's not the pope, or no, they won't even go that far. But you know, th- th- there's little rumblings, but they they really never do anything. It's um, uh, I think it's partially it's you know, like boiling a frog. You know the, the, that uh, this this process has been going on for uh, for so many years, and so many people uh, who started out with the integral Catholic faith uh, made one compromise here, one compromise there, and ignored this and ignored that, and pretty soon they uh, ended up going along with everything. I mean, if this had been done right after Vatican II. Yes, if uh, it, it it would have been far different, but it's um, the uh, it's the way the whole process has uh, has unfolded. I don't know. Did I talk? Maybe I used the analogy before. It's like Father Kelly's dog. That uh, he uh, he had a German Shepherd named Heidi, and um, when someone would uh, um, come onto the property who really shouldn't be there, or whom the dog didn't recognize, the dog would go crazy and bark. Uh, But what happened is if a lot of people uh, came into the area, uh, the dog would bark once or twice, sort of viciously, and then uh, go back and and into her uh, doghouse and, and whine a little bit and cover her ears because it was too much to handle. And I think that that's, that's um, uh, you know, partially what uh, what has happened here. It's it's the uh, the Heidi effect that uh, since Vatican II, there's so much. Well, I mean, Father Chikata's talking about boiling frogs and torturing dogs. I, I, this is really the worst evil that that is possible, uh, <laughs> according according to Francis. There's an interview given on the the 25th to something called La Voz del Pueblo. On, I'm sorry, it was the 24th of May, and, and Rarate posted a story on the 25th. What are the worst evils that beset the world today was the question that was posed. Poverty, corruption, and human trafficking. I can be wrong with the statistics, but what will you tell me if I ask you? When it comes to spending, what thing in the world comes after food, clothing, and medicine? The fourth is cosmetics, and the fifth are pets. That is serious. Pet care is like love that is somewhat programmed. That is, I can program the loving response of a dog or a little cat, and I do not need to have the experience of love with human reciprocity. I'm exaggerating, so do not take it literally, but it is to make you think. Uh, well, I'm having difficulty. <laughs> I think probably having... more, than, uh, more is spent on diocesan payouts for lawsuits than on dog food and cosmetics. <laughs> The uh, you know it's 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 uh, an astounding statement where you end up with uh, uh, social evils uh, you know that that uh, these are confused all the time with uh, with moral evils and are these are the social evils are considered to be the real evils. Well, don't forget he's a Marxist and he has no faith. Yeah. So. The social good of man, the bettering of humanity, making the, of the earth a better place to live in, is the religion substitute for the Marxist. 
and so all of those things that you know the the oppression of the poor and and by capitalists and whatnot are that's the main evil uh you know that people are are espousing heresy or that Ireland for example is embracing uh filth and and uh vomititious attitude toward uh, unnatural sex that's not an evil that it has abandoned its centuries old uh adherence to the truth practically overnight that is in a matter of 50 years that 62% of those people can vote for that sort of thing the is, is that's not an evil you see that that Ireland should fall to apostasy that's not an evil it's that trafficking which is an evil and and the purpose of the Catholic Church, the reason why our Lord founded the Catholic Church, was to stop trafficking. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a religion it's, substitute, that's all. Yeah, a religion substitute, and it's to play to the um, what the world, as it were, considers to be evil. You know, the, that uh, you know, poverty is bad, and then now the... Um, <coughs> Issues that people, the very popular issue now is this uh, human trafficking. So you, you read a lot of editorials about this. So he is he's he's pandering to that, that particular idea to maintain his uh, to maintain his good press. Well, yes. yeah, he's the same thing with this um, the global warming nonsense. Uh, you know, to do a whole encyclical. Could you imagine an encyclical on global warming? Huh. Tell that to well, the people in in the in the north of the United States who just went through the two most horrible winters that they've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be plenty of hot air, Your Excellency. <laughs> yes, yes, that should be the first thing is that he keep his mouth shut. That would really help a lot. Uh, but uh, the <laughs> the. Uh, the um, no, it, it's it's religion substitute. The, the liberals and atheists and pagans need religion substitutes, and they do it in various ways. This is just one of them. Also, they need a global um, cause to globalize the world so that the uh, rich cultures and countries give to people who don't have too much money because it all has to be globalized and everything has to be equalized. That's part of the the, uh, religion substitute. Well, and and one of those points that he makes is uh, he goes back to one of his favorite themes, which is the poor. And uh, he's introducing a new rubric. I was wondering how this might fit in liturgically, Father. Uh, this was a, a ser- uh, not a sermon, but it was uh, some entertainers that had uh, that he w- he was uh, attending uh, at a at a theater, and it was uh, funded by a, a group associated with the poor. And and he ends by saying, "How I wish." that Christians could kneel in veneration when a poor person enters the church. So would we put where in the where in the rubrics would we have that father? Uh well, I think it's his substitute for perpetual adoration. <laughs> uh, uh the so the well, EWT I, I the, the, poor, the EWTN nuns are going to have to read uh, review exactly what they're doing down there. Uh <laughs> it's it's uh, uh, the the idea that someone who is <laughs> supposedly a pope could say anything so uh first of all so shallow uh and, and what a what a stupid uh, idea the 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 reflection of a a shallow mind and then the the implications of it 
that um, you kneel before a human being uh, because of his economic condition. It's crazy. Where is it in the gospel? Right. Yeah. No, it's it's religion substitute. It's uh, all of the energy that is normally poured into religion, and all of the devotion that is normally poured into religion, is poured into that stuff, uh, and that, that's why it becomes absurd because it, it is precisely a, a idolization of humanity. And he got uh, uh, he got a rocket for it from uh, uh, a writer in Italy, uh, Antonio Socchi. You know, he the, the <laughs> you got people who recognize this nonsense and uh, uh, and protest it, but um, uh, you know uh, at least that. But it, it's it's so obviously crazy. To say anything like that, it's, uh, especially as one of the, as Sochi points out, that we should be kneeling before our Lord in the tabernacle, not before other people. Yes. Um, it's a transformed Christianity. There's hardly anything left of Christianity in it. Uh, and, you know, the sooner people realize that, the better. That's why we do this show, but uh, I, I just hope it makes some people wake up. Well, listeners, if you are still awake and with us, you're listening to Francis Watch on the Restoration <laughs> Radio Network. So far today, we've been discussing uh, the synod uh, maneuvers, uh, or pre-synod maneuvers, rather. Uh, we've been talking about the worst evils of our time, which include problems with pet care, I suppose, and the importance of adoring the poor as one adores our Lord in the Eucharist. His Excellency alluded to the the global warming issue, and I, I think I think we we've we've gotten quite a bit of that. Is there is there anything that you want to touch on specifically there, Father, before we we move on? Uh, the well, I mean, uh, it's 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 more of of uh, what one could call a glo- globaloni, you know, <laughs> Yeah, global only. The the all, all of this the 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 bomb fog, as they used to call it, to the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God, and uh, these these are all worldly notions and and worldly ideas. And uh, I notice in some of his discourses, um, uh, Francis has picked up this the JP two buzzword of of uh, solidarity, which of course is another uh, uh, leftist. Uh, uh, social favorite as well. It's so a Masonic he, word too. It's a very, very it, common, uh, common use in Masonry, Freemasonry. Uh, human solidarity. Human solidarity. Yeah, it's it's leftist Marxist. Typical. Um, you can you allude? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, not allude to, but can you um, tell us a little bit more about Timothy Radcliffe? I know that uh, His Excellency mentioned uh, mentioned that, and I, I know you chimed in. Uh, if, if listeners have not been familiar with this figure uh, on previous episodes, can you tell us a little bit more about him? Well, uh, Radcliffe was the uh, head of the Dominican Order, the Master General of the uh, Dominican Order. And uh, he was uh, fairly notorious for uh, going around the world and, and uh Saying outrageous things that were against even the uh, B16 uh, line. He he was a uh, 
he he pushed the idea of um, women's ordination, uh, at least to the uh, uh, diaconate, not to the priesthood. And, of course, that would go against the um, current Novus Ordo teaching on it for the moment. Uh, he also uh, pushed and propagandized for uh, a greater acceptance of homosexuality. He celebrated the so-called gay masses in, in uh, uh, London. Uh, and so he's the uh, type of person who... Uh, Bergoglio is, is, is appointing to uh, a, uh, a fairly important position. You know, and, uh, again, it's, it's, uh, to get an appointment from Rome still is, a, is an indication of uh, uh, a favor. He even came out, though, uh, against the idea of a so-called gay marriage by saying that, well, uh, this quote, oh yeah, gay marriage ultimately, we believe, demeans gay people by forcing them to conform to the straight world. <laughs> I mean, you you can't make this up. Can you imagine Cajetan saying that? <laughs> or yeah, Thomas St. Thomas, or, you know, any one uh, of these. Uh, <laughs> I think they use the term heteronormative. Heteronormative. Okay. You're being yeah. very heteronormative by <laughs> by thinking about things that way. So, uh, so his this this guy's stock has uh, his stock has gone up, and and uh, you know it's 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 uh, it's also public. It's so obvious. So mm-hmm. what Radcliffe says in the future uh, is going to be given cred because. Uh, people will know that he was recently appointed to a commission by Francis. So this is how we're proceeding. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it, again, we we seem to we are always looking at the same themes, Father and, and Your Excellency. But there never seems to be a shortage of new ways to say the same thing. This, this, they always seem to come up with a recurring development, however you want to say, uh, proceeding of of adding to things. And and one of the things, uh, as I said, that led me to to say you you really can't make it up um, was a prayer that uh, one of these video messages we remember from from Tony Palmer and and this sort of video message that was sent to a, a conference of Protestants. This happened again on the 24th of May, but it was for a it was for uh, a, a group of evangelical pastors that were Pentecostals. And in the video message, and again, this is part of the you can't make it up uh, school of quotes. Um, perhaps, uh, but there is someone who knows that despite our differences, we are one. It is he who is persecuting us. It is he who is persecuting Christians today. He who is anointing us with the blood of martyrdom. He knows that Christians are disciples of Christ, that they are one, that they are brothers. He doesn't care if they are evangelicals or orthodox, Lutherans, Catholics, or apostolic. He doesn't care. They are Christians. And that blood of martyrdom unites. 
Today, dear brothers and sisters, we are living in ecumenism of blood. This must encourage us to do what we are doing today, to pray, to dialogue together, to shorten the distance between us, to strengthen our bonds of brotherhood. And I thought, Father, as I was reading that, he's also saying uh, he doesn't care either if they're evangelicals or Orthodox, Lutherans or Catholics. I mean, who cares? Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, that, uh, uh, you know, one more uh, one more bit of evidence. It doesn't make any uh, difference that, that when it comes to the question of doctrinal differences, Bergoglio doesn't uh, see any. He has, has uh, uh, this idea that, that the doctrinal differences between Catholics and Evangelicals and uh, Orthodox are merely small stuff, that uh, underneath there's some sort of a uh, fundamental unity, and that's really the only thing that counts. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the doctrine. Uh, it's not really all that important. And that's a this is the the consistent theme. It keeps on uh, coming up. Uh, it, it comes up in these ecumenical statements that he makes, and it uh, comes up a couple times a month in his uh, Santa Marta homilies, uh, where he will uh, use some sort of expression that uh, denies or uh, dismisses the importance of uh, uh, theological precision, theological distinctions. He will compare that to a sort of of uh, uh, Phariseeism. So he has... He, it's pure uh, he, modernism. A dogma for the modernist is, is a personal thing that is an expression of your personal experience of God and varies from person to person. So, uh, you know, he's completely in accordance with it, with modernism on that. Well, and to Father's point... Uh, not only with with uh, with making these statements, but making statements of unity with these Lutherans. We haven't got there yet. Uh, we won't be talking about it in this episode, but we to be in mind, there is something that is coming, which is the Lutheran Catholic Common Commemoration of the Reformation, so-called Reformation, in 2017. That there is such oh. a thing that is coming, but um, it he. He received an audience uh, on the 4th of May, earlier this month. The Vatican, um, the VIS, the Vatican Information Service, reported that he received some Swedish Lutherans. And he said, and he was channeling Unitatis Red Integratio here. And he was saying that the decree expresses a profound respect and appreciation for those brothers and sisters separated from us, to whom, in daily coexistence, we at times risk giving little consideration. In reality, they are not perceived as adversaries or as competitors, but instead acknowledged for what they are, brothers and sisters in faith. I think that's the real problem, Your Excellency. You don't see Swedish Lutherans as your brothers and sisters in faith. You're not, you're not giving them enough consideration. No, it's all the same principle. Faith for, for these people, for Protestants, uh, and and for modernists is an experience of God. So everyone has an experience of God. So if that's what your faith is, well, then you're brothers and sisters. If faith is, as the Catholic Church teaches, the assent to truths revealed by God and proposed by the Catholic Church, then we're not brothers and sisters. All right. So it's very simple. Uh, we're uh, it, we're Catholic versus heretic. <laughs> that's what we are. 
and uh, you know, heresy excludes uh, any kind of relationship at all because it excludes membership in the Catholic Church. Heresy is a sin, objectively, which is worse than cold-blooded murder, and which comes right behind blasphemy and hatred of God as as the worst sins a human being can commit. So we're dealing in something very, very heavy here. So the heresy is something that divides humanity a great deal. But that's the Catholic notion of orthodoxy and heresy. But you know the Protestant notion is just an experience, and, and that has been perfected by modernism, uh, which uh, just reduces dogma to to just whatever you you feel about God. So you know it's, they're very consistent, and and it's all laid out by Saint Pius X. Uh, there's nothing new here in any of this stuff that we're hearing. There's nothing new, nothing that he did not predict, at least implicitly. Yeah, the um, uh, along this this uh, uh, same line, uh, Bergoglio uh, said that uh, the, the theologians won't bring about uh, unity; uh, that they they can help us, but uh, you know the Holy Spirit will bring about unity. So the the uh, idea again is that the um, this subjective uh, their subjective notion of uh, the Holy Spirit. You know, God revealing uh, something to each and every uh, one of us, that that is the essential thing. That's the important thing. And anything objective that we could come to by the way of uh, theology, and that is the science, um, and how that's developed, that's not really uh, going to help. That's not even necessarily the cherry on top. You know, it's 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 yeah. uh, uh, maybe these a people have, have abandoned any notion of orthodoxy altogether. I mean, who cares what people believe? I mean, does Bergoglio care what what people believe except the traditionalists? Mm-hmm. I mean, the you know he's appointing all of these heretics. He's got heretics running around every place. I mean, does he care? <laughs> no, of course not. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about heresy. I mean, it was in that same speech that you quoted where he said, this this might be heresy. Yeah. So, you know, the very notion of orthodoxy and adherence to the credo and to the catechism and all of the revealed doctrines of the Church is already out the window and has been out the window since 1958. That was the end of orthodoxy uh, in the sense of the end of Catholics concerned about conformity to dogma uh the uh the the i think the last person uh well for example pius XII would not excommunicate uh um uh Teilhard de chardin even though uh ottaviani was asking for it he would not do that because uh, he felt that you know he might come around and all this. There was a general softening to all of this even before the council. Uh, and but with with the modernism, I mean, the whole very notion of of uh, orthodoxy is really out the window now. I mean, it, heresy is something that is that is approved, and uh, heretics are running around all over the place. Uh, it so that has been our our experience for fifty years now. I mean, gone are the days when heretics were excommunicated and drummed out of the church. Even the 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 pretense 
of maintaining some sort of uh, uh, orthodox doctrine that you would occasionally see under uh, J.P. Two or, or uh, Ratzinger, where someone would get his knuckles wrapped or called, uh, you know, no longer a Catholic theologian or anything like that. Even that is gone, because you saw what happened last month and the month before with the nuns, the the, the uh, uh, crazy. Uh, uh, women's Relig- uh, religious leadership conference. Uh, there was a big deal over their um, uh, the supposed visitation that was uh, undertaken as a result of, of Ratzinger about all these awful speakers that they had, all these different terrible things that were said. There was delays, etc. And then finally, uh, under Bergol, nothing really was going to happen to them. None of them were going to be excommunicated or have their orders suppressed or anything like that. So, uh, but it was it was this this theater that was carried on for the benefit of uh, the wanderer type conservatives. That well, you know, our beloved Holy Father is, is maybe he's going to crack down on this uh, 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 a little bit on on some of these excesses. But in the end, um, uh, nothing was done, and they were given a, uh, a free. Of a free hand to continue to do what they want to do. You know, I may not have... the... I'm go ahead, go ahead, Father. Oh, the dogma doesn't matter. I was going to say I may not have realized until this episode that the true significance of a newspaper called The Wanderer and and what they have to do in order to to deal with uh, these pronouncements of the man that they consider pope. I mean, they really are out there wandering. I I wanted to go back to these uh, these Swedish people that uh, I'm sorry Swedish brothers and sisters I'm I, I'm not being sensitive enough our Swedish brothers and sisters in the faith that uh, uh, Francis received our uh, erstwhile sponsor Novus Ordo Watch uh, filed uh, this under hermeneutic of continuity update and showed that Pius XI seemed to contradict Francis almost word for word. Father, did you see this news story? Uh, yes, I did. And uh, again, you know, I think this this takes us back to the, um, uh, you know, wondering whether or not uh, there is uh, some sort of a state of a contest who's helping him, uh, you know, write some of this stuff. So he, he uh, says... Uh, uh, in receiving the Lutheran Archbishop of Sweden, that the Christian division contradicts the will of Christ, scandalizes the world, harms the cause of preaching the gospel. And he says, much work remains to be done in ecumenical dialogue. Um, he said we should accept one another as brothers and sisters in uh, in the faith. And then Novus Ordo Watch said that, um, uh, uh, quoted, extensively from uh, from Pius XI on, uh, uh, you know, just condemning uh, just uh, these ideas. So it, it's, uh, and he almost does uh, uh, go word for word, that, 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 that the, the, the idea, all who invoke the name of Christ should abstain from mutual reproaches and at long last be united in charity. That's a description. What he's, what Pius XI is condemning, is what uh, Bergoglio is um, uh, is talking about. Or all Christians uh, should be as one, 
for then they would be much more powerful in driving out the pest of irreligion, which, like a serpent, daily creeps further and becomes more widely spread and prepares to rob the gospel of its uh, strength. Then he says, uh, the, after quoting uh, more of these sentiments, Pius XI says, but in reality, beneath these uh, enticing words and blandishments lies hid a most grave error by which the foundations of the Catholic faith are completely destroyed. And that is uh, exactly what um, uh, you see, that the, 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 the foundation of, of, of uh, adherence to Revelation and to well, what as Catholics we are uh, supposed to believe that uh, that's gone in the name of uh, common action uh, together a- and under the rubric that somehow we're all brothers and sisters uh, in the faith. And then we have this fraternal communion that he talks about. So it's, it's, you know, and Pius XI, I think, in that same encyclical, said, you know, fine, if they want unity, why don't they just come back to the Catholic Church? Yeah. Very, very negative. It's very simple. Very, very negative. <laughs> yeah. And that and is the, think of the all ecumenism of, the of return. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's so simple. Just make your abjuration and do your confession, and <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> Get baptized. So um, you know it's uh, uh, you know to, to try to uh, amalgamate all of this. I think Cardinal Patrizzi in the 1860s said something very similar too. That you know these people are free to come back to the Catholic Church. That's when the Puseyites were saying, "Why don't we all put it together with three branches and all?" And and he was the head of the uh, I think the Holy Office, and he said, "Well, fine. You know, if you want unity." the unity that existed be- before all of these schisms, why don't you just come back to the Catholic Church? Yeah. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> and, and, and again, Your Excellency, you pointed this out in previous episodes and as well on your catechism show, This is Catholicism, which is also featured on this network, shameless plug, but that the unity of the Church is not lacking. There's no, there's no lack of it. The church, the church, that's a mark of the church. The church is one. There, he's buying into, or not buying into, he's leading this idea that unity is something that the church is striving for, that she doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a heresy. The Catholic church, even if one person were left in the Catholic church, it would still be the Catholic church, and it would have all of its characteristics of unity, an interior unity, just like a body as a unity, a living body, and also uh, a unicity. That means it's the only Church of Christ, and anything outside of it is a false church. That it is an organization established by Christ. It's not a movement uh, like Buddhism or something, but it is an organization founded by Christ, a church, and it's unique. So it has both unity and unicity, and uh, that is the, the teaching of the Catholic Church. It is not striving toward unity. The it is true that the Catholic Church has made effort upon effort to try to draw back the uh, those who have erred to its fold. Uh, we were just in church history today talking about the convocation of the Vatican Council of 1870 uh, by Pius IX, and he actually invited the Greek Orthodox and he invited the Protestants by a special each by a special document uh, publicly to come but to return to the Catholic Church. It wasn't to you know, have an ecumenical service. It was to return to the Catholic Church. 
so that uh, just as the Council of Trent invited the Protestants for that very reason, you know, let's talk and let's see if we can get you back. It wasn't to compromise the doctrines. Uh, the Council, the Second Council of Lyons, in in in, uh, in the Council of Florence, uh, the church, and very many other uh, things that the Roman Pontiffs have done over the centuries, uh, on a personal level and a smaller level, uh, of trying to attract back schismatics and Protestants uh, back to the to the unity of the Catholic Church. Uh, so the, the fa- any idea that the Catholic Church has not achieved, or the true Church of Christ has not achieved unity because there are heretics outside of it is just pure nonsense, and it's actually itself a heresy. Uh, the, the, the fact that a, 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 a branch falls off the vine doesn't mean that the vine is dead or in some way imperfect. It just grows a new one. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's too bad for the branch that has fallen off. But it's a dead branch and eventually rots, which is exactly what happens with a sect that has fallen away from the Catholic Church. Well, if you if something is rotting, you might try to put it together with glue. But Francis tells us that, that unity is not something that can be fixed with glue. This was from a, a mass at Santa Marta. On the not even crazy glue. <laughs> not even. Well, I mean, what, we what about gorilla of... glue? Uh, <laughs> gorilla glue. <laughs> well, that, that's not being very comfortable, Father. I can't imagine a more fatuous or idiotic analogy. Well, I mean, remember my three factors. Well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and it hit, hit, hits all three points. That's the thing, Father. It certainly um, does. So I mean, who is going to say what? What is the uh, uh, what are the terms for that analogy there? Well, <laughs> I think I, I mean, I, can you I, figure I have, it I, out? I have an idea, Father. I have an idea. See what you think of my theory. Now, for our listeners who are somewhat bewildered, there's a sermon that was given specifically on uh, Saint John, uh, chapter seventeen, verses twenty through twenty-six, and Francis is commenting, commenting, quote unquote, commenting on this on this need for for unity. And he says, unity is so important in the passage that we have read that the word is repeated four times in six verses. However, unity is not made with glue. There is no such thing as a church made with glue. The church is made one by the Spirit. Thus, we have to make room for the Spirit to transform us as the Father is in the Son, one single thing. And I think, Father, the reason he's trying to tell us that it won't, you can't work with glue is he's trying to advertise for the God spray as something that will hold things together. I think that's, he's trying to make sure that people don't get the notion that the glue will work better than the God spray in order to fix things. Either that or he's sniffing glue. Which, oh, that could uh, be it, too. I mean, that's, a how, to, that's a throwback to the 60s, isn't it? How, how in the world can, um, can anyone in on the right in the new church uh, take this man seriously who says something so idiotic. You can't really figure out what that statement means, that unity <laughs> isn't made with glue. I mean, uh, it is, it's, uh, it's absolutely astounding, and it hits all your three points, Your Excellency. What can I say? <laughs> and I don't think, as you say, I don't think crazy or gorilla glue, or even crazy gorilla glue, could do anything to this. <laughs> But I think what about elders. I think that yeah. it could be that. But I think it's because realistically, the real problem 
is that uh, bishops are ordering people around. I think that's the thing. We have people oh. like Bishop Sanborn who just want to order people around. And this was a story by Nicole Winfield uh, for the Associated Press on the 18th of May and was featured on cruxnow.com. Can you tell us a little bit about more, uh, a little, Father, can you tell us a little bit more about why uh, bishops are supposed to act uh, more like pastors than pilots? <laughs> this is another, uh, uh, another uh, uh, crazy analogy. Uh, the idea that uh, you have to, um, uh, that uh, you uh, order people around uh, that this is 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 something that's uh, 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 that you give commands, and this is somehow uh, incompatible with your uh, episcopal function, and this somehow interferes with it. You're not a good pastor. You're not a a, a, a good shepherd. You're not a good bishop if um, uh, if you do that. But the uh, you know one of the reasons that bishops carry the crozier is is uh, 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 to lead and is as a, a symbol of of their power to rebuke those who are not doing what they're supposed to be doing so the uh, but it's his idea of rebranding the bishops and he he talks in his um, rebranding their their um, their mission uh, he talks about how uh, they shouldn't have this emphasis an overemphasis on on doctrine and on small-minded rules. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there you go. Uh, that this is just what you're you're not supposed to do. He said that that the um, uh, you have to once again listen to the Holy Spirit. Uh, you uh, should not homogenize choices, opinions, and people. Instead, you go where the Holy Spirit asks you to go. Yeah, it's uh, very typically modernist and liberal. The idea of authority is that authority su- should suggest to you what you should think, uh, how you should act. But the ultimate decision rests with you because you have the Holy Spirit, and he's guiding you. So the bishop is there, and, of course, the pope is there merely to make suggestions, to to you know, sort of put out the food, and if you like it, well, that's fine. If you don't, you don't have to eat it. Uh, that That's so typically Protestant and, and modernist. Uh, again, it's the abandonment of the teaching authority of the Catholic Church. Why do you have bishops? You know, why do we need bishops uh, to make suggestions? We could read books or read the internet I mean, if we need suggestions. What 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 purpose do they serve? Uh, and and the if the Holy Ghost is in charge of everybody, and everyone's being directed by the Holy Ghost, uh, really, what else do we need? And that's the Pentecostalist Church. See, the the minister is there just to to lead you in prayer and to suggest to you in his sermon what he thinks about the scriptures. And that's really the Pentecostalist church. It is as if someone is overseeing a, a, a church that is being led by the Spirit. And therefore, you know, you're just there as sort of a moderator or a, you know, somebody watching a, or, or in charge of a three-ring circus where a lot of things are going on at the same time, the elephants on the one side and, you know, the, the trapeze artists on the other. I mean, 
that, that all of these things are going on, and, and you're there simply to see it and, and make your own suggestions and contributions. Yeah, and, and, and for, uh, you know, the uh, post-Vatican II church, these supposedly scriptural return to the sources, uh, uh, church that Vatican II promised us, this turns everything on its head. Our, our Lord mm-hmm. taught and commanded. Yes, he and, did. And uh, said, do this and do that. And very clearly. And his apostles did the same thing. Yes. <laughs> you know, look in the Acts of the Apostles. And yes. then if you look at the history of the patristic era, it's the same thing. That, uh, you know, the, 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 the apostles uh, didn't go into Antioch and say to uh, different people, well, how is the Holy Spirit supposed to move you? I mean, tell me what you think. Let me dialogue with, with your particular values and try to assimilate them. So the, the, whole, um, uh, the, the, the whole model that they're using here is uh, absolutely crazy in terms of the uh, early history of the Church and, and Holy Scripture. Yes. Uh, another quote from this story is that, in reality, lay people who have an authentic Christian formation shouldn't need a bishop pilot or a monsignor pilot or clerical input to assume their responsibilities at every level, from political to social, economic to legislative. But, you know, I have to say, when I think of pilots in the Novus Ordo, I'm thinking like the German Wings pilot. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> heading, straight for the, they're heading straight for the mountain. And, and they know exactly where they're going. That's an excellent analogy. The whole episode is an excellent analogy to what happened to Vatican II. All these people, captive on that plane, uh, committed suicide because he decided to commit suicide that day. And uh, that's exactly the, the the modernists getting into positions of of direction in the Catholic Church uh, managed to uh, make the whole practically everybody commit a spiritual suicide. Uh, but uh, this again, this. this, uh, this idea of piloting and whatnot uh, is just one more way of tearing down the traditional church and making a lay church. I mean, that's something that we're going to see in the coming decades uh, is a lay church, uh, something like the Protestant church, where the priest is going to take a real back seat and where people, you know, essentially, the lay people are essentially running the church uh, to a great extent. It's 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 happening now. And women... Uh, in parishes telling the priests what to do as to liturgy and things like that, but more and more. For example, the Huntington Seminary, which is the seminary for the Diocese of Brooklyn and, and Rockville Center, uh, became a, a lay apostolate center. They closed the seminary and they changed it into a lay apostolate learning center or something like that so that they can train people to operate the Catholic Church or you know, what purports to be the Catholic Church uh, as, as the priests disappear, so I think that that's the idea too. Is that uh, you know the lay people really don't need your direction. You, you are not like some monarch in your diocese. Uh, you are there simply as a as a the same way the priest presides over the new mass. It, it's the people who are essentially running it. They're reading the epistle and doing all sorts of other things, and he is a presider. You know, he's there as somebody to. Uh, do the essentials and to make sure everything, you know, the clowns are, you know, doing their things and the, the dancing girls are, are, you know, in order and all. That, that That's his purpose and function in life. 
Well, and it, the statement is somewhat self-contradictory, Your Excellency. I, it, it says lay people who have an authentic Christian formation shouldn't need dot, dot, dot. Well, where the heck would the lay people get the authentic Christian formation? Would they teach themselves? <laughs> so from the Internet. It, right, exactly. All of these people They would are probably learn more from the Internet than they would from those idiots sitting in the chancery office. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, well, and then he goes on to say that official church documents are too heavy on doctrine and theory as if our orientation isn't aimed at our people and country, but rather students and specialists. I mean, what church documents is he reading, Pius X? <laughs> I mean, he's not reading JP2 or Benedict XVI if he's thinking it's too heavy on doctrine and theory. I mean, it's heavy on something, but it's not doctrine and theory. Again, you have to step back from it and say the, the absurdity. Uh, of, of of a statement like this, that uh, you know, people regard this man as the vicar of Christ, and he's complaining about church documents being heavy on doctrine. Uh, it, it is it's it's uh, uh, so insane when you step back from. How can you defend a uh, statement like that? How can the wanderer defend a statement like that? That we need less doctrine. Uh, it's uh, Quite, quite unbelievable. You can see the strain, though, in among the Novus Ordo conservatives. There's a strain going on. They, they, they are having a hard time with this right now. They, they uh, under uh, Ratzinger, although he was just as much of a heretic as Bergoglio, they, they managed nonetheless to to construct a, a false world. But they are they are straining under this. I find um, uh, the. Uh, for example, I, you know, I used to subscribe to The Wanderer, uh, but I think they're sending it to me free now. But what stopped me, what just really, you know, where I couldn't take it anymore, was when they had this article about the uh, canonization of John Paul II. And the article said that he was just like the perfect pope, you know, that you couldn't order up a pope better than John Paul II, essentially. And I, and I just thought to myself, I mean, after a CC and after all of these other hard things that he did for those 20-some years, that they can write that? They can say that? I mean, these are people living in a dream world. And, and I mean, one thing if they said, you know, well, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, if they sort of glossed over it, but to actually extol somebody who destroyed the Catholic Church from head to toe and, and who destroyed every Catholic dogma along the way as the best possible pope, you know, uh, uh, but these people are straining. Uh, th it's very hard for them to keep the model together uh, under this. And uh, so, uh, who knows what they'll do, though? I, I, I don't. I, I don't have a lot of confidence that they will will actually do something or, or, or act in a Catholic way. Somehow, I think they'll just drown in it all. My opinion. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's something that one would like. You'd like to see uh, something like that happen. But um, uh, you know very much so. But it's so like what uh, that they drown. Well, <laughs> in other words, that they react against it in some effective yes. way. You know, yes, uh, but yes. it's not. Uh, it, it experience uh, tells us all these years since Vatican II that that doesn't seem to happen because it's it's the the frog and the Heidi effect. And I think they know that the only effective way to react against it is by taking the state of a campus position. 
they know enough ecclesiology to realize that. Yeah. And I think that they they have such a horror of that uh, that they are willing to experience the horrors of Bergoglio. And as I said in an article recently in my newsletter, that is self-absolution through suffering. Mm-hmm. That they suffer through it, and therefore they're absolved, and, and uh, you know that they give it a certain amount of eye rolls, according as the as the heresy is radical, uh, and uh, uh, then they're done. Uh, so far, that's all they're doing. But I think that the idea of a of sedevacantism, that he is not the pope, and that this this whole this whole thing is a sham, uh, is is just so appalling to them that they can't take it. But where they're going to go with it, I don't know. <laughs> what their way out is, I have no idea. Because it's it's a continuous downward spiral. You you it have is. The, the, the talk about oh this big restoration uh, under Ratzinger that the restoration has begun, and uh, you know you saw the uh, uh, this uh, certain level of enthusiasm for it, and you still see it in places like uh, uh, Rarate in terms of the liturgical. Uh, goodies that they're uh, permitted to have by Ratzinger, but it's um, uh, undercut by the horror at the the the, the doctrine uh, that is is coming out of Bergoglio's mouth. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 the 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 thrill is gone. I think. Yeah, the, I think that these Novus Order conservatives might already be so infected with Vatican II that they don't care about orthodoxy anymore. And it's not really a problem. They might just say, well, I'm I'm okay. I mean, I believe everything I should believe. If the person next to me, or even if he's the Pope, doesn't believe it, that's not my problem, mm-hmm. which is a totally Protestant idea of, of a church. Uh, but, you know, they, they might feel that way, too, is that uh, as long as I'm not denying any dogmas, uh, that's fine. They have no idea of the unity of, of faith in the Catholic Church. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, you know, that's what their reactions betray. I mean, there is never uh, any kind of horror. Uh, there, there is consternation and always in this terrible, but they never see the problem, the the deep down problem that the heresy coming from the person who claims to be the pope makes for the Catholic Church. I mean, he his whole purpose is to confirm the brethren. You know, that I have prayed for thee, Peter. That's in in sacred scripture that your faith not, may not fail, and and then turning, confirm thy brethren. So the the confirming of the brethren in the faith, meaning his, his fellow apostles and really the whole church, is essential to the Pope's role. The, so he, he, he cannot not do that. I mean, that's essential that he, that he confirm in the faith and not destroy it. Uh, and you know, they they have no sense of that. He's just another one of the. He's just like uh, Radcliffe. I mean, he's just another person. He's just somebody else in the church spewing heresies. And well, you know, there's a lot of heresies, and people are you know, a lot of Hans Kung's around, and it doesn't matter. They have no sense of that. They have no sense of the fabric, uh, the the seamless garment of the Catholic Church, uh, of its orthodoxy and and its its adherence to true faith. That they're that's gone in their minds. So you know they they see this as you know, just something that that is uh, unfortunate and and you know let's pray for the next papacy and and uh, but they they don't see that they have to do anything. So. Now I'm listening, Father Chicada to His Excellency, and I'm wondering if he's just not afflicted with a bit of nostalgia 
for the pre-Vatican II <laughs> Church. There was a story here about Cardinal Tegel, which was picked up by both Vatican Insider and the National Catholic, quote-unquote, National Catholic Reporter. Um, and he gave some remarks in which he said that Catholics should avoid looking back to the pre-Second uh, Vatican Council Church with a, a sense of nostalgia. Well, Did you read the story? The, uh, <laughs> is the, this is a National Catholic Reporter story. Now, he is the... Uh, uh, I suppose the golden boy the, uh, among the papabile, the successors for um, for Bergoglio, uh, and he is a, a rather charismatic figure himself. And he has a um, uh, he is uh, unlike Bergoglio, he is intelligent. He's an intelligent man and and um, uh, somewhat well spoken, and doesn't present himself as as uh, uh, as an idiot. So he. Um, uh, he, he is uh, actually in a, a good uh, position to uh, promote himself as as one who is um, who would continue the uh, Bergoglio line. So he talks about um, uh, how we have to go forward after the Second Vatican Council, and he speaks disparagingly of what went on before it. Uh, he says, for instance, many people want to witness Christ in some idealized way, that uh, idealized past that they long for uh, with nostalgia. So he's talking at Georgetown University, that bastion of orthodoxy. Uh, no, we witness to Christ now. Uh, the church is uh, being asked to retrieve its deepest identity as a communion, but a communion that is not focused on itself, not self-focused and uh, self-referential, referential. So the uh, he is speaking in the uh, um, same code, and in fact, I think that his his specialty um, in uh, theology. I think he has a uh, uh, degree from someone. Actually, was the new ecclesiology. So he is the in the Vatican II ecclesiology. So that is the uh, note that uh, that he's playing there. So that he's he's definitely positioning himself as uh, you know the man of the future to carry on this this um, uh, this great change. Yes, and like all modernists, they reduce the very valid concerns concerning orthodoxy to a mere nostalgia that you know there's something wrong with you. You you have to get over this. I mean, we were told that in the 1960s. You know that that. You know, why are you so attached to these forms and you know, this? The external. You've got problems, and and instead of saying, you know, having the courtesy of giving to those who are bringing up these problems, uh, having the courtesy of at least answering their arguments, but it's it's uh, they show contempt by by reducing it to a nostalgia. I mean, here the. <laughs> you have Hiroshima and <laughs> the Catholic Church, and and they're reducing the arguments against Hiroshima to simply be nostalgia. You know, it's it's very demeaning and patronizing, um, and uh, so it, just one more example of that. But they really don't have an argument, and I think that's why they they characterize it as nostalgia. They, they, obviously, if you do a comparison, as side by side comparison of pre and post Vatican II, it's it's not the same religion. Even if an atheist did that he would come up with that conclusion. It's just not the same religion. 
No, I was thinking about that today. That the the uh, you haven't heard the phrase hermeneutic of continuity uh, ever since Bergoglio has been elected. Mm-hmm. And I mean that was something that Ratzinger promised that he never delivered on, and it, yeah, no one could figure out where the continuity was. Uh, it's the unicorn in the forest. It's the unicorn in the forest. So uh, it, and that's uh, another sort of priest said that to me when I challenged them on certain contradictions. He said at, at the end, "I believe in the in the the uh, hermeneutic of continuity." as if it were an object of faith, Yet that there is some explanation for all of this, and I believe that it exists, and, but I don't see it. I can't tell you what it is, which, which really shocked me in a way, yeah. that, that somebody could get to that point, uh, that, that you believe in something. It's like the unknown God, <laughs> what St. Paul saw in Athens, like the altar to the unknown God, the altar to the unknown hermeneutic. Uh, and uh, you know, that we we don't know where it all connects, but it must connect someplace. And meanwhile, after fifty years, the, it, we don't know where the connection is. Fifty years. Uh, the uh, and and now apparently the hermeneutic of continuity has been abandoned. We, as his father says, we haven't heard from you know about that for a long time. No, no, it's 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 gone. It's all packed away. Now, Tegel, uh, in his um, statement uh, statement to Georgetown, uh, sounds the note of how we should be constantly open to every human condition. Uh, that the Council, uh, Vatican II, has a mystical missionary amazement of the worth of human beings. Again, it's that, that, that sort of sparkling, meaningless language that they love to come up with. The Church's openness to humanity is to remind the rest of the worlds of human beings that have been forgotten. Uh, there's no complete, true openness to the world if we do not remember those who have been forgotten. So that we're, we're talking about, I think we're back to human trafficking. Here. Yeah, it's all that social gospel. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's then, as old as the 19th century. That's like the Salvation Army. That was social gospel. Yeah, and that's 1860s. I mean, you know, come on. Openness to the world means getting ourselves dirty, stained, wounded by the existential realities. Uh, how many times have we heard that existential thing? Uh, right. That that the the poor face. Uh, the church should smell like the world that it penetrates. Hmm. Boy, yeah. you can make it. <laughs> uh, don't tempt me. So uh, it's a, uh, but it's 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 that uh, the the Vatican II gospel of the worship of the world. And you know, you 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 say, uh, you know, in Europe, how's that working out for you? You know, just uh, from the point of view of, of uh, your results, and no one is interested. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we we wouldn't we wouldn't really have a Francis watch if we didn't talk about Cardinal Meridiaga, and we can't talk about Cardinal Meridiaga if we don't have Father Chicada to talk about him. <laughs> I want to start at the, the end of the story. Uh, again, this is from Crux now, and they refer to him as the Honduran Vice Pope. But one of the quotes in the article says, "Dear God, Oscar is back." <laughs> Can you explain that to your 
<laughs> well, for, there was the impression in some quarters that uh, he was um, uh, somehow put on ice, okay, and and, and uh, you know uh, put in, put into storage for a while. But uh, sure enough, he's going around and uh, is um, uh, preaching the the Francis line and promoting the Francis program uh, once again in uh, different parts of the world. He landed an uh, uh, appointment uh, in connection with this this uh, uh, charity uh, agency, Caritas. So that's. Uh, 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 again, that's a sign of uh, of his favor. The favor is not uh, is not gone away, and uh, this, of course, is is a reproach to those who who criticized his his uh, uh, different theological ideas. So uh, you thought that he uh, they thought the conservatives were under the impression for a while that well he was being retired, but no, he's uh, he's back and he's pushing the Francis program uh, everywhere, and he's he is a good salesman. He's an articulate and uh, an intelligent man for for um, uh, spreading his poison. And remember, he's one of the uh, uh, the Council of Eight or the Council of Nine that uh, uh, that Francis has. So this is an influential guy, and he's uh, been given a, a, a good position. And we'll be hearing a lot more from him about the Francis program. Well, uh, again, we have this section that relates to how do non-Sedevacontists deal with the problem, and they're always digging stuff up. And the latest uh, dig is from uh, an old friend, actually, Ryan Grant, who runs Athanasius Contramundum. Uh, in my old, uh, I don't know, recognize and resist days, I knew this man. And he translated some Suarez for us. Now, Father, if you'd be so kind, I know it's it's been the end of a long week. Uh, I you know, the, and the bishop has has just finished teaching class not that long ago. So, can you guide us through the Suarez uh, that is being uh, translated and and used to to deal with a quote unquote heretical pope? Well, first of all, I would say that I'm um, I didn't realize that it was this the same Ryan Grant, which I find very interesting. Um, if you uh, follow Arate, you'd see that just a few days ago, uh, he published and Arate publicized the um, uh, uh, translation that Ryan Grant did of uh, De Romano Pontifice, uh, which uh, was something that uh, I found uh, personally very interesting, because, of course, it, it is that... Um, uh, treatise that talks about uh, the issue of a heretical pope. So it's 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 a um, very interesting that he is is um, that he is he has translated the Bellarmine. He's translated the whole treatise, and the um, uh, there was a, a cryptic um, uh, remark uh, that was made in the uh, introduction. Uh, on Rorate, uh where, where the, the the writer talked about the different contents of De Romano Pontifice, and he said, uh, then of course in it there is the loss of papal office, which in the full context of the entire chapter reads a little differently than certain people would have it. Now that sounds a little bit cryptic to me, 
uh, and it's it's difficult to figure out what's going on in the anonymous writer's head there. But someone is thinking about these issues. So uh, the Suarez uh, was one of the uh, theologians in the history of the church. He was a, a, a Jesuit who dealt with the uh, idea of what to do if you've got a pope who is a heretic. And uh, uh, Suarez's uh, uh, solution, he's a 16th century theologian, his idea uh, was this, that um, when you get right down to it, you would have a, um, uh, the church would uh, declare him a heretic and would depose him. So that that uh, a heretical pope would continue in papal office until he was deposed uh, by the church through some sort of a, a trial process. So that was his idea, and the idea of also the the uh, also of Cajetan. So uh, I find it interesting that uh, such a site uh, then uh, publishes. A, uh, 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 some writings on this topic of a pope falling into heresy. So what it, it, it signals to me is that people are thinking, are thinking about the issue. Suarez's and, and Cajetan's, uh, their, their uh, notion of, of the church uh, uh, declaring a pope deposed in the sense of, of him holding office until he was declared uh, deposed by the church, eventually was uh, rejected by Catholic theology uh, under the influence of St. Robert Bellarmine, who said that, um, who taught that uh, a, a pope who becomes a public or a manifest heretic uh, by that uh, very fact loses his authority, loses his power. And that uh, if, if you have the church. Uh, comes along later to issue its uh, uh, declaration. It's sort of clearing the way for the um, uh, for the election of a true pope to replace him. So, but again, the overall phenomenon, the discussion of the question of the heretical pope, publishing of articles on it, and uh, the writings of different theologians is very, very uh, uh, interesting. I think, and and uh, you know, maybe significant for some people. Your Excellency. Uh, yes, as I said, they're they're feeling the strain, and uh, at least they're they know which direction to go in. They know what what lies over the hill, so to speak. Uh, but they, I'm sure that as they read the things that we read, and perhaps if they even listen to these commentaries, uh, they they that's the only path open to them to solve the the problem in the church, and, and as distasteful as it may be to them, uh, it is nonetheless before our eyes. Uh, you cannot deny it. Uh, and so I just hope that it has a good effect in the long run. I hope uh, and pray for that. that uh, I mean, that is the solution. The solution is not to fix up Vatican II or in some way to to compromise with Vatican II and, and you know work with it. Vatican II has to be dumped. As I said, I should get a, a bumper sticker to that effect, but the uh, it has to be dumped. The whole thing was bad from the beginning. There's no way to save it. There's nothing in it that, that is of any good because it's tainted by heresy. 
and and whatever is orthodox in it, and there's a good deal of orthodoxy in it, but it is all tainted. It, it's just like a, a glass of water that is tainted by by poison. I mean, the the whole glass becomes something you just have to pour out, uh, and so uh, that, that's I think. Uh, it's the begin. You know, I hope I am hoping that it is the beginning of some thought in that direction uh, with regard to these uh, Novus Ordo conservatives. But anything I've seen so far, though, is merely a reaction to Bergoglio. It is not a reaction to Vatican II, and I, I think therefore it's shallow. Bergoglio will go away one day, and and what we get after that, who knows? And I, I think they're thinking that this is just a storm. <laughs> this is a perfect storm. <laughs> Après but, moi, le deluge. Yeah, uh, but uh, the the root problem is Vatican II. Now, maybe Bergoglio will alert them to Vatican II, and maybe they will start looking at Vatican II. But the root problem of the uh, of the Church is Vatican II. That must be dumped, and it must be, as I always say, burned. But the, the first place in which to burn the documents of Vatican II is in the minds of Catholics people who are still retaining the Catholic faith despite the changes of Vatican II, that's where it needs to be burned. Um, until that happens, there's no hope. You know, Father Chicada, I interviewed Bishop Sanborn in 2009, and I asked him about interpreting the Council in the light of tradition, and he said, uh, by a bonfire, that would be a, a way that you could, you could use the light of tradition. I wouldn't want to deprive our listeners or our clergy of some final thoughts from The Pretender. And so I'm going to end today's episode with uh, an excerpt from the Pentecost sermon of the Argentinian uh, gentleman. The world needs men and women who are not closed in on themselves, but filled with the Holy Spirit. Closing oneself off from the Holy Spirit means not only a lack of freedom, it is a sin. There are many ways one can close oneself off to the Holy Spirit. By selfishness for one's own gain, by rigid legalism, seen in the attitude of the doctors of the law to whom Jesus referred as hypocrites, by neglect of what Jesus taught, by living the Christian life not as service to others but in the pursuit of personal interest, and in so many other ways. The world needs the courage, hope, faith, and perseverance of Christ's followers. The world needs the fruits of the Holy Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The gift of the Holy Spirit has been bestowed upon the Church and upon each one of us so that we may live lives of genuine faith and active charity, that we may sow the seeds of reconciliation and peace. Strengthened by the Spirit and His many gifts, may we be able uncompromisingly to battle against sin and corruption, devoting ourselves with patient perseverance to the works of justice and peace, in your ecstasy, you might start your sermon with that this Sunday. I mean, that's that's just chock full of stuff, and it, and it hits oh, it's those full of the same old nonsense that he always talks about the doctors of the law. But that means people who have any sense of of Catholic orthodoxy. <clears throat> that's all it means. It's it's and it's it's a call to abandon uh, dogma and and the rules and pre-Vatican II. It's another lightly veiled condemnation of pre-Vatican II and uh, a, an extolling of modernism and social gospel. That's all that is. It's the same old junk that he always puts out. 
the theme it's 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 day after day after day in in uh his his angelus messages and uh, in his sermons like this uh in the the homilies he gives at the santa marta it's always uh, the same theme and uh, you know people are uh, the the uh, people are picking up on it and this is this is how he's he's going to drive the um drive the revolution you know why well, say closing oneself off from the holy spirit means not only a lack of freedom it's a sin but i mean in his uh theological uh system of beliefs uh sin doesn't have any sort of ultimate consequences you're just annihilated right it it it, it, it that uh, there is no uh, uh, punishment of hell to fear because you're just sort of zapped into non-existence at the end. So it's all this this um, a crazy self-contradiction uh, that you get in in uh, statements like him, uh, statements from him. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, I, I I think that uh, we can leave it there, uh, Father and Your Excellency. Uh, I had prematurely announced the end of the seminary academic year in last month's Francis Watch, so I think I am more uh, better informed now, and I can say that there is about a month to go uh, before the end of the, or a little over a month. A little over uh, a month. Not that His Excellency is counting the days or anything, but uh, <laughs> Father, what's uh, what's going on up at St. Gertrude? Well, let's see. Tomorrow is, or the, the, this coming Sunday is uh, uh, Trinity Sunday, and it's uh, we have uh, a one graduate, a high school graduate from our high school, that uh, uh, we're very proud of. And then uh, uh, the uh, next week is Corpus Christi, and we have, of course, uh, all the the offices of, of uh, Corpus Christi. Uh, uh, some of them sung, some of them rectitoned on, on the day itself. And then uh, Sunday uh, Sunday week, we have the external solemnity of Corpus Christi, where we have First Holy Communions and an outdoor procession. And that is the uh, close of our, our uh, uh, the major celebrations of a liturgical year until uh, until the fall. So we will be letting up on things uh, a little bit during the summer. We will, however, have our customary bonfire on uh, St. John's Eve. To Do you have uh, the documents of Vatican II ready to go? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> that and uh, also appropriately enough, I'll probably do another reading from uh, Rudyard Kipling's Just So Stories. So, uh, with the, are you uh, going to put a poor person on the altar instead of the monstrance for? <laughs> <laughs> and and I'll be preaching on God spray on on Sunday. Uh, yeah, <laughs> hermeneutic of God spray. Right. Oh, oh the, my! You know, the deep theology of Mr. Bergoglio. Uh, well, the importance of gluing all these concepts together, Your Excellency. Well, uh, but it may not French work. Say, as the French say, chacun a son glue, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, well, it's bad. <laughs> what's, what's going on at the seminary, Your Excellency? Uh, well, we're outdoing uh, St. Gertrude's a little bit. We're going to wow. do, uh, yes, the, the full uh, matins and lauds sung out uh, for Corpus Christi. Okay. Good. So, uh, And then we're going to do uh, Vesper, Solemn Vespers Coram Sanctissimo for Corpus Christi. And wow. I guess Solemn Mass Coram Sanctissimo. 
so we're we're really pulling out everything for Corpus Christi. So we're we're uh, we're we're doing it up. Uh, we, we're finally able to train some of our seminarians to sing, and also some of the parishioners. So we're getting them involved. Uh, so we have a, a male choir that that can sing these things. So we're getting a, getting ahead a little bit, and. Um, so we'll see. Uh, every year, we we <laughs> one of the questions I ask every person I interview is, "Can you sing?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> which certainly would enhance their their chances of getting into the seminary. Uh, you know, we're just curious because uh, the music is so much a part of our life. The seminary has a very strong emphasis on the sacred liturgy, and uh, so obviously, Gregorian chant and all of the the uh any kind of music and church music that we can do is very important to us uh so uh, uh that that's one so it should be the first question on the on the application can you sing and then if that's if you answer yes then you don't have to fill in anything else <laughs> well and and that listeners is what liturgical one upsmanship sounds like if you weren't uh, if you weren't following uh, yeah that's right i'm almost tempted to uh, ask bishop dolan to come down there to go down there to help you to sing some things but, <laughs> Well, I think we have enough uh, to cover it. Oh, you do? Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll keep them up here then. <laughs> okay. uh, well, as always, Your, your Excellency and Father, thanks so much for your time. I always ask you at the end of these episodes, uh, you know, what, what you could tell to our Novus Order listeners. I know that we've, we've said over the years uh, – as we've commented on on Francis, that uh, a lot of the laughter that we have uh, or that we look at is 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 partly you know to diffuse the the horror of of, of uh, you know what it is that we're looking at, even though we don't consider this man to be a representative of the Catholic Church at all. As always, I'm asking you to consider our Novus Ordo listeners, not our not our uh, our Catholic listeners. What would you what would you say to them again in light of specific things that we've said? I know you you've said the same things before, but anything different that you tell our listeners this month as opposed to previous episodes? Mm, uh, just uh, to think. I mean, just to come. It's before their eyes. I mean, the monster is there. The the. It's before their eyes, and and open their eyes and realize what's happening to the Catholic Church. Uh, that uh, and their their uh, if their approach is not one of positive resistance to it, uh, and doing something uh, very very decisive, then it'll simply go on. The the solution of of uh, just suffering through it is not doing anything. The solution of working in the system is not doing anything. I mean, look at what where we are after 50 years of people working within the system, as as many of the Novus Ordo conservatives say, and 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 offer as a criticism for what we're doing. Where are they? Look at where it is. I mean, has Hiroshima gotten any better? I mean, it, it's everything is just falling down. It, it's it's getting worse and worse. It's like that pilot who who accelerated the plane as he was going down. Uh, the you know working within the system has done nothing for us. Uh, the the most it has produced is a very small, even tiny sector of the Novus Ordo religion that has uh, the tradition uh, form of the traditional Latin Mass, uh, an imperfect form of the traditional Latin Mass. 
that's all it has done. It, it has created in, in by doing that a, a a false impression that one can survive in it, and you can't survive in it. That just makes the Catholic Church into an Anglican high church or an Anglican church which has many, many different confessions and many different liturgical observances. That's all it does. It does a great disservice to the unity of the faith. And so, you know, I would say to them, wake up and, and take a look at these things. We're not making it up. You can look at it for yourselves. You can see the documentation and and decide to do something and say your prayers to God to to be enlightened as to what must be done about these things. And uh, what uh, I would add to that is uh, look at the um, role of the Roman pontiff, as that has uh, traditionally been understood in catechisms and in uh, theology books and uh, in history, you see what the the, the uh, teaching role of the, the Roman Pontiff is. It's it's importance. It's it's uh, uh, dignity and and uh, how he is is supposed to teach and uh, lead us with the authority of Christ to present to the world the the truths of the Catholic faith, the truths that that Christ has uh, revealed. Uh, in terms of uh, doctrine and in terms of the moral law, and compare that with what is happening now before your eyes. And if if you can uh, use uh, the that as your perspective, the uh, understanding of uh, traditionally of of uh, the role and the function and the dignity of of uh, the Roman Pontiff with what you see before your eyes in in, in uh, Francis then the differences should become clear and the course of you know, your course of action should uh become obvious well i think that's both well said your excellency and father thanks so much for your time and we look forward to our next episode of Francis watch next month God bless. Thank you. We want to remind our listeners that if you have any questions for His Excellency or Father about anything that we've covered today or things that you'd like to see covered in future Francis Watch episodes, that you can simply email us here, franciswatch at truerestoration.org. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Please remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time that you pray. For the Restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you.